All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 52.1 of Collectible Live. It is Tuesday, November the 8th, 2022. My name is Jeremy Lee, and I would like to thank everyone who tuned in last Sunday with our guest, Mark Mader, a collector of tickets and cards, a veteran, a Gulf War veteran, a collector of, of Desert Shield cards. It was a great episode. Check that out. You can catch that on the Collectible App YouTube channel as well as the Sports Cards Live YouTube channel. But let's get on with tonight's episode and bring him out. He is the Chief Visionary Officer at Beckett, Scott Rosskind. Welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight, two hours later from our first attempt at this show? I'm doing great. Gave me a chance to have dinner, which was nice. I got to see uh, my younger daughter, which I never get a chance to do lately. So it was good. And uh, we might be the only uh, point two. I mean, this might be, is this the only point two that you've ever had? Yeah. So this is episode nice. 52. I think we did 52.02 two hours ago. We tried. We had, t- well, I had technical difficulty with the internet. I think that is fixed. I hope it is fixed. So we are now back for episode 52.1 of Collectible Live. And uh, welcome to the show, everybody. I'm feeling better about this one. Uh, be sure to put your comments, your questions in the chat. We're going to have a great conversation here with Scott. Scott, let's jump right in. Thank you, Mid-Atlantic. Says, looking forward to the reboot. Glad to have. Uh, looks like a lot of people are already back. So welcome back, everybody. And I apologize for whatever was happening earlier. But Scott, we're going to start fresh as if we didn't go through anything yet. Because uh, sure. this episode will be on podcast as well. And we'll live forever. The the the, episode, the, the version 52 Point zero has been deleted. So Scott, let's start off with you know how you came to be at Beckett via the the sale of your company Knox, and I'll, I'll let you start right from how and why you created Knox up until where we are today. Yeah, um, so it's an interesting story. So I, as I was mentioning um, to you backstage and and over the last uh, few days when we got a chance to catch up, um, I've been an entrepreneur, so I've been in sports. Uh, I work for the Knicks. I help run the NBA Retired Players Association. I've done a bunch of different uh, businesses over the last 20 so years. And in 2015, we had a business idea to build a collection management system for luxury watches and art. Um, I was really looking at that space and the collectible space around it and, and trying to understand how do people you know, get values on things they're buying? How do they understand the secondary market? Um, so I shelved that idea because we were working on a, another business that, that had already launched. And then in 2020, um, when I had a little time and I was sitting around and, and as you can see from around me and behind me going through a lot of the things that I collected for the last you know 40 some odd years, um, I started thinking about this model and, and how I could um, interject it into the sports card space. Um, so started to build out a concept of a collection management system, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything like any, anybody else was building where they were telling you, Oh, sell a card here. Cause it's going up this much or it's going down this much. So maybe you should buy the card. It wasn't about buying and selling. It was really about collecting. Um, so whenever I spoke about Knox and, and sort of pitched the idea or pitched, uh, some of my co-founders to get involved, uh, it was always collector first. This was the approach. This is, what I want to do, which is to really understand your collection. So understanding what you have uh, from, you know, a drill down perspective to build community into it, um, to build something that was completely educational, 
for the user. So it's a pretty deep platform. Uh, and that's how it came. It's really, it was really because I'm a collector and I wanted to see my collection in a different way. First, I wanted to visualize it in a beautiful way online. And I want to be able to share that. That was like easy. But then I really wanted to understand, you know, what percentage of my collection was basketball of that, you know, who are my top, you know, athletes that are in my basketball collection, so on and so forth. And um, so that's really where it came from. So, you know, I, you mentioned you wanted to be able to visualize it nicely. Let me let me yeah. ask this because uh, it just popped in my mind. Like a lot of people share images of their cards on on Instagram, on Twitter, mm -hmm. on Facebook. How do you how, how how did you kind of contemplate those platforms when you were developing the idea for Knox in your head? I kind of separated it. I think the only one that really and so we worked on something and, and there'll be something you'll you'll see in the future because Knox is now back at collect and, and there'll be some things. So I won't give everything away, but um, the, the place that I really concentrate on, because like like many of us, I have, you know, a Instagram account that is totally dedicated to the hobby. There's nothing else on it. I don't follow follow anything else. Um, so that's where I do to get my fix, uh, you know, eight to 12 times a day when I scroll through and see what's happening, like like a lot of us. Um, so I think that Instagram would be the one place to see it, but you're then you're only seeing it piecemeal. Um, you're not seeing it all together. And then you have things like, for me, I keep cards all around me. I, I have some in the house. I, you know, I use some vault services. Um, and so it's fairly spread out. So I don't, it sounds crazy. I don't always know what I have anymore. Um, and, and I want to be able to see everything in one place. So for me, it was more really about that because I think there's some beauty in being able to sort of flip card by card through your collection, at least the ones that really have meaning to you. Yeah, I mean, even before people started sharing on the social media platforms, a lot of us were using platforms like Photo Bucket or Flickr to to store our, our you know, images of our cards. So when I find it, I use Dropbox, actually, Scott, mm -hmm. and it works out well for me because when I'm at a card show or I'm at a, an LCS and I see a card, I don't know if I have it or if I need it for a set. I can look and see maybe it's an upgrade or something like that. It's nice yeah. to have those those images readily available. I want to also mention, you know, uh, you're now chief visionary officer at Beckett. And that, uh, you know, as we discussed earlier, is it, it was part and parcel with EBIT, with uh, with 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 Beckett acquiring Knox mm -hmm. from you and your partners. Um, we mentioned that, you know, and I read I read a blog post recently where the author was talking about the importance of having collectors in the executive at the executive levels of of companies that service the hobby and you know it, it's funny cuz here we are doing this episode 2 hours after we were initially scheduled to do it and it's darker in your house right now i can see there's no the light isn't coming through those well, I, I turned off some of the lights i could turn it back on now oh, it's okay <laughs> but we can still we can still see piles of white card boxes yeah there's in a lot your, right there in your basement or your room, wherever you are there. And that to me tells me that, look, this guy is definitely a collector. He's, he's, he's a C-suite executive with Beckett collectibles, but you are all, you are also a collector. And as somebody who has a lot, a lot of nostalgia for the Beckett brand, um, seeing that it gives me the warm fuzzies. It makes me feel good about, about, about what's going on at Beckett, about you being there. And you and I, obviously we have, we have a really good rapport uh, it, it's great to see that you are a true collector and you are steering the vision of Beckett. Do you find for yourself that being a collector helps you do that? 
I think there's no question. I mean, I think there's no question. I think it's today, it's interesting, right? Like when I started in business, like, you know, you would, you would go to a job, they would tell you what to do and, and you would do it. And, and outside feedback wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily wanted. Um, today, I think that being a collector and being able to reach out to other collectors and really take in their input and information and understanding, at least from my perspective, what I think a collector wants, especially for the card, you know, the card side, because Beckett is, you know, Beckett has, you know, we have VHS, we have a comic book division, you know, so we have, you know, we're starting into tickets. And so we have other divisions too, but the card side, especially, I think very vocal, obviously, as we all know, the hobby is very vocal. Um, they tell you what they love and what they don't, uh, which is fine. Um, and I do think it's really important because at the end of the day, at Beckett, we want to build something that really resonates with every collector. And it's, look, it's been around for 30 plus years. It's a heritage brand. Dr. Beckett is, you know, revered. Um, so I think there's something really special about it. But I do think it's important to have somebody because you have to really understand. And things move quickly now, right? Like, you've seen us do some things. We could talk about what we did on the pricing side over the last couple of months. Um, but things move pretty quickly. So I think if you don't have your ear down to the ground and paying attention, um, you're going to miss something. And I think, you know, in some ways, you know, we've seen that in the past with, with all companies who just aren't, you know, paying enough attention. Yeah. So, so you developed Knox from like 2015 forward and now, you know, Beckett acquired it from, from you and you're now, working with Beckett was was you working with Beckett a part of the deal to sell uh Knox to Beckett yeah and I'll uh, I'll repeat some of the stuff that we were talking about but yeah so yes I had to stay on it was definitely part of the deal and and by the way because of my love for the hobby and, and really enjoying what I was doing every day you know with with the small team that we had built in Knox and and moving moving that forward I wanted to stay stay doing this and to, to me it's i'm not really working you know we're working really hard at beckett i mean we are we are putting in a ton of hours but it's just fun we're having we're having a good time and i'm really enjoying it so so yeah i think that for me i wanted to stay on it was part of the project we were discussing before i've done a, a handful of startups and i love that phase beckett was really really interesting to me um you had this heritage brand uh, an iconic brand, uh, as actually Ezra and I talked about um, probably a year ago. Um, and you have Knox, which is a startup. We can bring that into Beckett and elevate Beckett from within and almost act like a startup inside this heritage brand. Now, that to me is something, you know, super interesting. Really, there are very few opportunities like that. So I think that really attracted me and, you know, I'm excited to, to really sort of elevate what we've been doing and change some things, frankly. That's a pretty unique opportunity, sort of a once in a lifetime type of opportunity to, again, like you said, to take a startup and incubate it in a heritage brand uh, with, yeah. with built in customer base loyalty, so much nostalgia. So you develop Knox as a collector's tool to showcase collection, communicate, among other things. But you're now the chief visionary officer for all of Beckett. So, how did you transition from from being being like laser focused on Knox, which is now going to be rebranded as Beckett Collect? How yeah. did you 
how, how did you transition from that to having many more uh, verticals within the Beckett umbrella to focus on? And how involved are you on yeah. the side of on, on the grading side? And, and while you just think about your answer, I just want to say hello to a few people for very quickly sure. here. We got Mid Atlantic. Uh, yeah, we did that. Thank you, Mid Atlantic. Facebook user says hello to you. Uh, we have C Dubs. What's going on, Rob Varis? I, if that's the real yeah. Rob Varis, that's Rob from Burbank Sports. Good to see you, Rob. And we got John, the basketball card guy in the house. That's definitely him. Good to see you, John. Um, so please, uh, if if you remember the question I asked a second ago, why don't you address that? Well, John threw me off because I, I I love Rob first of all, and I love John, the basketball card guy, who by the way is a tremendous tremendous collector and has really been helpful with uh, with Knox. He was. Uh, he was um, a great advisor for us and helping us uh, with some things we do now at Beckett too. So he's, been, he's, he's been awesome. I met John at the at the Mint Collective in March when Beckett had a sort of a private event to talk yeah. about Knox and Do Dilly and a few other things. And um, I, him and I have had a great relationship since then. Um, yeah. So you want me to go back to the question? I remembered it. If you got it. Yeah, you bet. So basically, um, for me. Um, Bringing Knox in is one thing. We have tremendous product people, tremendous engineer um, who is who's really in charge of where that goes in the vision. We have a great head of product. Um, I am actually really concentrating, and this will stem across all of the sort of the different units of the business or business lines, but I'm concentrating on our marketing side, our everything go to market. So marketing, sales, customer service, and I know we'll hear some things on that, you know, all things need to improve and our business development. Those are really the efforts um, that I'm going to be involved in, um, as well as the product side. Obviously, I have to stay in tune with what's happening and how we're developing Becca Collect um, because it, you know, is really my vision. But um, we have some great people for that. And uh, I think I can be helpful in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you can be just talking to you. Let's touch on then. You know, bringing this, you know, you're you're a fresh uh, a, a fresh person in the leadership in, in at a, in a leadership uh, chair at Beckett, and the Beckett brand being one that we've mentioned, it's iconic, it's nostalgic, it's a heritage brand. It it, it kind of uh, is synonymous with the hobby. However, the brand itself has has, I think some people will say, has become stagnant over the last couple of years. What mm -hmm. have you noticed that, and what what do you want to do, or what do you kind of have in mind to get kind of revive things i guess you know being a collector looking at it from the outside i think that i think that you know i think the brand was doing fine i think the pandemic obviously really you know even though it was in a lot of ways a great thing for the hobby i mean which is a horrible thing to say but you know it really pushed everybody back into it which is great because now many 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 of those folks have stayed sure some have come and gone but ultimately i think we're you know we're north of where we were in 2018 19 um which is which is great um i think the brand in general um was was i'll say quiet you know for the most part yeah uh, they laid low they tried to do a job they've got tremendous graders there i, I could tell you just on a side note that I'm super impressed with the graders. Uh, I've had a chance during the national when we were grading on site there to go and watch them and just, you know, see what's going on and and then spending some time in the office on there every couple of weeks in Dallas. I live in New York, but uh, I go every couple of weeks and, and I talk to them and I walk around and, and, 
and just try to learn, frankly, just to see what they're doing and, and, and the process that it takes. Uh, and these, these folks really care about what they're doing. It is, it is kind of remarkable. Uh, so I give them a ton of credit and many have been there for a long time. But I think in any business, in any business, if you have folks that have been there for a long time, which is a massive benefit, there can also be not in a bad way, but sometimes there's some complacency or some things maybe that, you know, times change, maybe you don't have the right folks or looking at it in a different way may help. Uh, we've been successful this way, so we'll keep doing it that way. I always have this sort of the approach of, you know, what can, you know, what can we try to do different, you know, um, and, you know, what can we, uh, what we do from a marketing standpoint that might be different, you know, and I think there are a lot of we're a little bit lucky because we're coming into this in, in, in a way where we can bring in some folks on the marketing side to try to do different things that the team before didn't have that opportunity. They just weren't there, but we're now putting more resources, which is really good into some of these other avenues. And I think you'll see a lot of progress across the board. That's good. I think that'll make a lot of people happy to hear. And, you know, I think what you were talking about before is that when you have people who've been in, in their position or in a company for a long time, you have that kind of that attitude of, well, we've always done it this way. And mm -hmm. I think that it ties into the the cliche that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, I've always said, if it ain't broke, how can we make it better? And I think that's what an entrepreneur, an innovator does. They don't they don't remain complacent. They look for things, ways to do it better. I have a feeling that you're the kind of executive, the kind of entrepreneur who's going to bring that way of thinking into Beckett. And I guess I'll, I'll lead that into the question for you is how difficult, and this isn't just specific to Beckett, but you've got experience. And, and for anyone out there that ha that runs a business, you know, how difficult is it for, for new management to come in and kind of convert the, 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 the staff into becoming maybe aligned or at least buying in somewhat to the new vision and I'll, I'll also just add that it's like you think about a sports franchise you know when, when the new when a gm is fired and a new gm comes in they usually clean house and yeah. bring in their own coaching staff their own scouting staff those sorts of things because it might be hard to get the the legacy uh staff to buy in so how has the experience been for you and and how do you think that 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 does does the professional sports analogy uh does that does that apply to a company like Beckett? Well, I think it's an interesting analogy. I think that the difference is in this situation, there are the institutional knowledge and the relationships that some of the folks have that have been there forever is really important. Um, and I think the other interesting part of it is that they're actually uh, the key folks there who, who have been there for a long time um, have I think done a really amazing job of connecting with, and there's several new people that have come in, not just me, right? But uh, we have a new CEO, uh, Kunal Chopra is fantastic, right? We purchased a company called Due Dilly, Andrew Metal's fantastic. He's the founder and CEO there. He's coming in to work on innovation. Um, and then there are others. We have, you know, a new head of marketing, this guy, Dave Aziz, he's terrific. Uh, head of business development, Jonathan Kramer is terrific. So we have all these new people and I think the folks who have been there for a while and are still there, right? Um, I think have done a really nice job of, of A, reaching out, being available to us, answering questions, trying to help us and thinking about things also 
more critically and, and differently as well. So I think in this case, it's an interesting one because I, in general, would may agree with you. Would be like, okay, Elon Musk came in and you know wiped everybody out, and you know, like this is what happens a lot of the time, right? And you said it, GM, same thing. I was around teams too, so I saw it, you know, firsthand. Coaches are gone. I, you know, by assistant coach, I'm just in, the, you know, I'm sitting in the front office with Ernie Grunfeld. I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, so I've seen it, but in this case, I think it's a little bit different. Um, the hobby is, um, is a small world too. So it's also very helpful to get their take on, on what we're doing. Now we'll throw out some crazy ideas and some of them go, oh no, this will never work. Sometimes we may just say, let's just try it anyway and see what happens. And I think we'll do a bunch of that. We, you know, we'll try some things. Some things are definitely not going to work, but if you don't try, you don't really know. And you can't always say, oh, we're going to measure it all. Or we'll do this and we'll figure it out or we'll talk to enough people. I don't know. Like focus groups are good. But at a certain point, you got to really just throw it out there and see what happens. I, I like that approach personally. I think I think you have to. You can think you have the best idea ever. You try it and it can totally flop. Or you think you have an idea that ah, this one's probably not going to work, but we've already come this far. Let's put it out there. And, it's a, and it can be a home run. So yeah. I think that's a, a good approach. Let's talk about the the Beckett grading. Let's talk about the slab for a moment. Um, any there any changes coming to the slab, to the label, to the inner sleeve? I think this is a question that people want to know. There, there's a lot of versions of the slab out there, really in terms of, of the label. Plus, mm-hmm. there's you know there's five different colors of label. You've got gold, silver, white, blue, blue for authentic, and black, of course, for for pristine. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I've heard, I've just heard narrative out there that you know some people would like to see more consistency among the the color of the of the label. Some people like the inner sleeve, some don't. Um, subgrades, subgrades, or no subgrades. What can you shed any any insight into what might be coming on any of those topics? Sure. Well, the subgrade one is fairly easy. I mean, I think the subgrades, um, the hobby has kind of spoken to us in a few ways recently uh, on that. So I think the subgrades are. They're here to stay. Um, uh, the team does a great job with them. I think that they're they're really. I mean, obviously there are other companies now, uh, including oh. Tag. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll I can put it out there. I'm, you know, we're all friends here. Um, that are doing things that are much more transparent. But at least the subgrades are the original, you know, transparent grading. Um, you know, they're not. You know what what you're doing at Tag, but they are. They do give you some inkling of why this card got a certain grade. Um, I know with some of the other grading companies and I love, and I know people at, at most of them, um, you know, you just don't know. And, and, you know, we were talking before, I mean, I have cards from, you know, cause I'm a collector. I have cards from all grading companies. Um, so when I look at it and I, sometimes I wonder why, at least with back at the subgrades do speak to you. So I think that won't go anywhere. That's, you know, if anything, we'll, we'll continue to emphasize it. Um, maybe technology will help us in some certain ways in the future that we can, you know, bring even more openness to that. Um, I think from, uh, from the label, from, uh, the label itself, I think now's the time anybody in the audience wants to throw some comments in or share some input. Uh, now is definitely the time. I think there will be, there will be changes coming, uh, on both the label side and the case side. Uh, I am working on it. Um, it's going, it's not an overnight process by 
any stretch of the imagination. There are a ton of opinions on it, as you can imagine. So it'll take some time. It's not going to be overnight, but there are definitely going to be some things coming along the way. So I think, you know, to your point, are there too many colors of labels? Maybe, yeah. You know, maybe there are. Maybe some, you know, uniform look is better. You know, we were talking, if you're a collector, maybe you want to see, you know, all your Michael Jordan cards and, you know, with a silver label or a gold label and so on and so forth. So I think some of that stuff, you know, is definitely weighing on our decisions, but there has not been sort of to that, to the label point, a firm decision made. So now is the time for definitely for feedback, which we will happily take. Well, um, sure. So I, I let me tell you this quick story. At the National this this past July, I made a, a big, biggest trade of my life. Uh, I made a trade for three 2009 exquisite patch cards. Uh, oh. They were all slabbed by Beckett. They were all BGS 7.5. So they have the white label. I wanted the card. I don't really care about the grade. At the Burbank show, mm-hmm. you know, a month later, I found a fourth card from that set. The, I got the Michael Jordan, the, the LeBron James, and the Kobe Bryant in, in Atlantic City. At Burbank, I found the Kevin Durant. And it was graded a BGS 8, also a white label. And I have to tell you, Scott, if that was an 8.5 or higher, I don't know that I would have added it because it would not be consistent with my three white label 7.5s. So right. it's funny. I almost preferred a lower grade because it's consistent. I like some uniformity. So I get let me that. ask you this. I know, I know you, maybe you, you know, you've kind of touched on it, but do you, do you, do you personally want to see more consistency with the, the label and the slab? Because there's so many versions of the Beckett slab out there. And I don't mean the colors of the label. I mean, the format overall. Are you, would you like to see, and would you, can we, can we sort of, can we kind of hope that you're going to uh, implement We the Hobby uh, more consistency in in the presentation? Yeah, I think I'm, you know, I'm a lot like you um, in that I would, I find the same thing at times when I'm looking at things together as pairs or groups, especially when you're, you know, collecting a set or you've got certain players and you want to line them up, um, even if you're, Doing the, you know, if you've got a rainbow that you're you're working on, you certainly, you know, that could get also, I think, somewhat frustrating. Um, so I do think that that would be my goal would would be to get more to that end. I well, you know, the black label ten, that's not going to go away. I mean, I think that's that's very clear. But I think others, yeah, thank you, black label ten is king. Um, so I think, yeah, that won't go away. But I do think we can, I think, simplify things. Um, and by the way, like some of these things that we could simplify, you know, um, will probably help from our, an operational standpoint as well. Right. You know, which, you know, we're not thinking about as collectors, but now I have to think about that a little bit too. Um, yeah. So. Even even just using the word simplify makes me think that you're you're going to get yourselves on the right track or the right track, according to, to my collecting uh, habits. So, okay. We've had, there's a whole bunch of comments. I'm going to, we're going to run through them. We'll stop at the ones that can uh, warrant some, some response. David French says there has to be better security features coming soon. So I'm sure you're looking yeah. at that yeah. uh, regarding hologram hockey cards up is not a fan of the inner sleeve. I know, I know mm-hmm. I, I confirmed this for me, but does Beckett look at the inner sleeve as a bit of a differentiator? Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that they do. Um, we do. And you'll see we are working on um, an inner sleeve that is, I will say, more clear. 
because I have a ton of Beckett cards too. So I understand what people are, are talking about. I think it is protective. Um, most people are very either on one side or the other. I think we could do a slightly better job with, with the sleeve, which we're doing. So that, that will happen at some point soon. Um, but yeah, we definitely, we definitely use it as a differentiator for sure. All right. Good, good. Let's say hi to my buddy, Drew Herndon. What's up? The DH is in the house. And after talking about the inner sleeve, he makes the comment, it's essential, especially in terms of flawless NT. I think what he's getting at are thicker cards Yeah. that, you know, the, one of the, one of the bigger problems I see is actually in the raw card review when they go into the semi-rigids and they can really pinch the corners. I think that's something to, to consider. Um, yeah. Anything you want to say to that or? No, no, I think that's fair. Makes sense. Yeah. Hockey card says, is it possible to give the option to out, 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 opt out of the inner sleeve? And that, that's something that, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a reasonable request, but it would then take away the, the consistency and uniformity of the presentation of the overall brand. But that might be a worthwhile sacrifice to give that option. Yeah. I think that's something, that's something interesting. Um, and there may be something to that. There may be something to that. We've been talking about some things that may may lend towards doing that, but that would have to be sort of um, further down the road and definitely a self-selected. Our default will be to go to the sleeve. Um, so yes. Drew says, use the nicer stock on the flip, no matter the grade, low grades already disappoint enough, keep the black label. And I, I'm with him on that. I'm all for black and then one consistent for the rest of it. And listen, I mean, you've been using Beckett's been using three colors for a long time. Yeah. Like, you know, evolve. I, I, th I think you're I think you'll get there. Hockey Cards Up says, why not have an Instagram contest where people can design a label, pick the five best and have people vote online to determine a winner. This way, the hobby picks it. What, what do you think of that idea? Well, I like it as uh, as a hobby, as myself and a collector. Um, I don't know. I would. It's an interesting one. I'm going to have to get with uh, with our head of marketing and talk to him about that. But I think it is an interesting idea for sure. Um, I don't know if the hobby picking it would be the answer because it's a, that's a lot of cooks in, in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think getting folks ideas would be super, super interesting. Let me float this out there to you just as a as a bit of a an an adjustment to this particular suggestion is, you know, you've got group submitters, you've got, you've got people who have their feet on the ground. Yeah. They're the one, you know, your, your biggest customers, they're the ones that are, you know, doing the most business, moving the most cards. Maybe that's your, uh, a, a better, a more focused sort of focus, focus group. Contender yeah. says, what's the future refractor labels. I've seen people talk about that before. I think there's a few vanity slab companies in the space now that are doing sort of that customized uh, yeah. label thing. And uh, I wouldn't want to see that with one of the established incumbent uh, human grading companies myself. Yeah, no, I don't think we would go, we would go to that. I think we will do something that has real security features um, that, you know, provides security for tampering, for any copying, for fake slabs, labels, things like that more than anything else versus sort of color matching. Like we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Drew says that inner sleeve I would use on certain chromium stock is awesome. Vintage probably not needed. He goes on to say, if you have a 7.58599, 9, 5, and 10, all side by side, it feels completely different, which I, 
I think we we recognize that. Yeah. Uh, Mikey, Mikey Singer, who will be helping run the expo this weekend, says simplifying is always uh, is always great, and I, I'm with him on that one as well. He says I love the inner sleeve; it makes me feel the card is much safer than most slabs. Drew, what is going on, buddy? I'm on my way to Toronto tomorrow for the expo. Cannot wait. And uh, Mid Atlantic says, uh, let's see what he says. Nat Turner claims Beckett won't remove cards from its pop report when notified by PSA of the Beckett. To PSA crossover, is it true? And will Beckett commit to removing cards from the pop report? It's good for collectors. Um, are these topics that you are uh, that, that you are in the know of and can speak to as the chief visionary officer? I the pop report, yes. I'm starting. We've been starting to look at it, but um, it'll probably come out of our innovation side where that goes and and where it ends up. I know, I know. There's some work to be done there. This is an interesting point um, on the on the crossover. It's interesting. It would have to be, um, we would have to have a real um, sort of one-to-one -one working relationship with with PSA to make that kind of a thing happen. So I think that's further down the road, but you can imagine if they're getting a crossover, they'd have to then report it to us, send us the information, you know, send us, you know, send, send us a picture of the label, so on and so forth. So it's, there's a lot more, I think it, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, ripping it out and, somebody self-reporting it, it would have to be you know we'd have to have a real you know relationship to do that which by the way might not be the worst idea that might be a well, great well listen i'm not going to speak for either of you but that this is one this is an area where where you guys put the hobbyists ahead of ahead of kind of uh competitive uh, compet any competitive feelings you have for each other and i'm not meaning you scott personally um i have a feeling you I listen, I, I I don't know for sure, but I think that you'd probably be open to that because it's cooperative and it helps the hobby, which is what Mid-Atlantic's last comment was, good for collectors. We know the yeah. pop reports are already extremely misleading. You know, you you quote, and you see the biggest sellers out there, whether it's PWCC on their platform or Probstein on eBay, they talk, they put in the descriptions, they'll put in pop whatever. Absolutely. It's not true. It's just not true right. anymore. So right. if... If the two premier human grading companies being PSA and Beckett could talk to each other, I think that would be something that would be important. I, I, th I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure we'd like to see more, more accuracy or uh, just ability to rely on population reports than we have right now. Totally right. I'll throw one more thing at, at you and, and, and the viewers, anybody listening is that, Another area of cooperation, which actually I, I did bring up um, to somebody at PSA already, is fakes. So it happens to every grade. I don't care. It happens to every grading company. Every grader can get duped at some point. There are some excellent, excellent uh, fake cards out there, um, not just from sports cards, but also when you get into gaming cards um, and TCG stuff as well. That's an interesting area where if we see a fake on something and we know it's out there, to be able to report that amongst each other, I think would be really great for the hobby. I mean, because then all of a sudden, like, how do how do we know that somebody didn't, you know, run 100 fakes of a card, they sent, you know, 30 to us, 30 to PSA, send some to SGC and send some to CSG or, or TAG or whoever, right? You know, maybe somebody finds that, they report it, and then we have a shared database of something like that. That, to me, I think would also be really helpful in a way that we can work together to help the hobby. Like, 
that you know there's there's so many comments there, there's so many there's so much the new catchphrase in the hobby right now is hanky panky there's so much hanky panky that goes on in in our hobby you know wherever there's money you're gonna you're gonna have some some bad actors and we we definitely have that here but this is something that you know the, the word regulation comes into play people often say how well, how would you do it or what well listen self-regulation is the only really thing that yeah. i think we could we, that, that is going to come in the in the near term and this is a way to self-regulate you know drew makes the comment uh here he says there's no way to truly know all the cards removed that are cracked out etc but that's not what we're talking we're talking about when i said when i send in a PSA slab to Beckett, and then you then Beckett cracks it out. The customer sends it in. That's what we're talking about, and there is a way to to address that. So that's one way to make the hobby better for the hobby. Just mm -hmm. like you're talking about this cooperative approach to counterfeits and fakes. I mean, the fact that the grading companies don't share the information with the hobby is, I think, it's a mistake. I think it's a I think it's a way a real short term kind of kind of thing let's grow the pie instead yeah. of trying to steal each other's and share yeah. and to your point and also that will help eliminate some of the fraud and and some of these you know counterfeit fake cards that happen i mean look back you know i've been collecting for quite a long time and and you look back and part of the reason that i kind of you know went in and out for many years you know uh is because you know there were so many fake cards when we were growing up so many trim cards you know in the 90s and the late 80s and things like that that it just gave you a bad feel you know overall for the hobby and and for this to be to the point where it is today we really have to eliminate you know we have to eliminate that entirely if we can uh and get rid of it yeah i think i think there's a, a solution coming moving forward but looking back i think we'll always have the those issues um anthony george says as far as slabs i have held says i have not yet held rare edition or tag in hand bgs is the best feeling looking slap to me and it's not even close please don't change too much so no matter what yes. you say you're not going to please everybody but i think evolution is is a good thing and uh hey time's going by so um yes. all right i can tell anthony that i don't think it'll change it won't be a huge it won't be an unbelievable drastic change um but it will be improved it will be improved at some point down the road but i i i happen to agree even though I, you know, I obviously work at Beckett now, but I happen to like their cases also the best, even prior to, you know, selling Knox to Beckett. Um, but I agree with that. Um, so, yeah. And a lot of people do. It's, a, you know, compared to PSA, it's a much more substantial slab. It's 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 heavier. It's bigger. It's thick. It feels if your your card feels safer in it. Uh, and I mean, I have several of each. So. I guess uh, can, the thicker cards, like you were saying on, on the ones that you have, Jeremy, some of those, you know, exquisite cards. Yeah. It, it probably feels a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, Contender says, why don't all grading companies offer a written explanation of why their card graded the way it did? They do it for comics. And the reason for that, I, I, I had Nat Turner on the show a bit about 14 or 15 months ago. And that he, I, he, I said, will you do that? He basically said, no. Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch, but I think, I think it just comes down to, to time and resources and that it would cost more money to do that, which, well, of course it would, but then pricing, ha the price has to go up. Um, I, I don't know. I know that, uh, I know that, you know, I can speak to it at, at tag. We, it's, you know, our system automatically generates it. So there's no real labor involved, but what are your thoughts on that from a Beckett perspective? I think it's interesting. I think, you know, we have, 
as I said, we have a, a comic brand uh, called CBCS. Uh, so it's a comic rating uh, company and um, they do very well and they do graders notes. And that's what they call them. So when you pull up, you know, your book, you'll see some notes from the graders. Um, so we're, you know, Beckett as a company, we're doing that in one division. Um, it hasn't been done in cards. It's something that I did throw out recently to the group. Um, and I think it's something we will explore. I, I want to see how much, you know, once we get a little further down the road with our tech development, how that could help us, you know, get that in, in a very easy way. Um, and think about like, this is far off, but like you can now, you all see how I think, um, voice notes may be even easier. Like, you know, some sort of like, you know, AI system where you can punch it in and just say, you know, here's why, I, you know, here's this, look for this, this, or this, and, you know, so voice notes might be very, very interesting at some point, especially when you're keeping your card in Becca Collect and it's all on our system. Um, there's a lot of interesting things we can do that, that, you know, we've been thinking about and working on. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's something that I've always thought was, you know, especially when we see a pricing model that the more valuable your card is, the more, the more, the higher the fee is. I don't think Beckett does. I think PS, no. I know PSA does that. I don't think Beckett does that. I know at tag, we're not doing that, but when you're paying a thousand or $5,000 to have a card graded, uh, yeah. you kind of owe me an explanation. Like no doubt like it's ridiculous that, 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 that that's not just offered. I, I, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but just, just, I don't know if this was today or yesterday, um, and I don't, I, I'm going to be very brief on this topic because, um, well, just for, I think what should be obvious reasons, but um, at PSA, I guess, Nat Turner, and, and I want to talk to you too about collecting cards and how you feel about collecting cards in Beckett slabs versus PSA or SGC or CSG or TAG. Um, but, you know, Nat Turner is a collector. We know this. And he's also the, I don't know, chairman of collectors in PSA. And he just received a card back that he shared on his Twitter, uh, a, 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 it's like a luminescent Michael Jordan from, I think, 1997 or 98, an intricate die cut. And a portion of the surface was actually missing from the card. And it's in a, it, it got a PSA 10. And he showed it. He must not have noticed this. And he showed it. And I'd love to see the grader's notes on that card. I'd love to see what the grader was thinking. Now, I've seen a, a theory that, well, maybe the card wasn't damaged at the point of grading, but in assembly, meaning when the card went from oh. grading into the into the slab, it's, it was placed in the slab and then was welded together. Maybe something happened there. Even so, there must have been something wrong, though. Something must have been there. I don't know. But wouldn't it be nice for, for even for Nat as a customer of his own company to be able to go in and say and look at those graders notes and see what happened? Um yeah. You know, that's a place where those would be very helpful. Um, I, were you aware of that situation? No, I wasn't. Um, and then I did hear about it. A, I guess it was a day ago. I've, I've, I don't even know. Today's Tuesday. Yes, maybe it was. Uh, maybe it was yesterday or Sunday night. But yes, uh, I think what you just said is probably right. It, it, things can get damaged at various points. I mean, you know, um, so I'm pretty sure, look, all their graders, they do, I'm sure, as good a job as they could possibly do. And, and from what I saw, that was a fairly, you know, 
seem pretty obvious uh, flaws. So maybe it happened somewhere along the assembly line um, and it was already there. And, you know, somebody just, you know, folks just put down the label and, and closed it and maybe something could have chipped off. I know that like in general, you know, things happen. It's just not, you know, people are still handling cards. Um, with us, we put them right in those sleeves and they don't come out. I mean, the, the grader will look at them, obviously, that they go in there. So through the assembly process for us, they don't come out of the sleeve again. But when you're putting them into cases that are PSA cases or other cases, they obviously are raw. They're in the raw condition. Anything could happen. Those older cards, I mean, a little fleck could chip off something, somebody's fingernail, whatever. So uh, I'm sure it's a super innocent mistake. Um, and things could happen. So it doesn't surprise. I'm sure that happens more than we would maybe think. I think it's, know? yeah, there's a, there's a several videos out on YouTube now and posts on Instagram, you know, saying preferential treatment and, and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And I mean, I, I don't know that I buy into that, um, but I think it comes down to QA. I think it really comes into quality assurance, quality control, <laughs> where they're, they're, they're running through so many cards every day. Are they, and I listen, this isn't meant to be, this is a grading discussion right now. And I think it's for anybody who, any grading company who, whose um, process is similar to, to PSAs. Um, you know, you have to look at those slabs before they go out the door. You have to make sure yeah. that, the, that the information on the label matches the card, that the card isn't put in the slab upside down. We've seen, I've seen, I've seen that in, in Beckett's slabs and it makes you shake your head. Like, absolutely. I had a friend send me the other day, oh, they messed up my labels. <laughs> they, they flipped them. You know, it, it happens. It happened to me with PSA. It happened to every company. It, it, it does happen at some point. Yeah. You're yeah, not, no, you're not going to have a hundred percent on anything you do. Right. Yeah. So some things are, will fall through the cracks. And the question is then really becomes, how does the company deal with it? How quickly do they get the problem resolved? You know, how effortless is it? for the collector, because I've had it happen to me. I had cards graded, they came back, two Damian Lillard cards, <laughs> the labels were swapped, you know? But um, they did a really good job. They sent me a label, send it back, no problem. So I was without the card for another couple of weeks. It's okay. Yeah. You know, not, that's, that's the thing is how do you respond to it is really the key, because I think mistakes will happen. But I think in general on this topic, look, we all, any, I'm sure Nat and and myself and you and anybody who's a collector, we all have we all have cards in in you know. I mean, I have every brand here. Like you know, you and I were looking at some before um, PSA. I bought a PSA card um, at the Dallas Card Show. I was there uh, for a couple of days this week before coming back to New York. Um, I love the card. I was like, this is this is an amazing card. I'm buying this card, and you know, would I prefer to buy something in Beckett? Of course, I would. And that would be my, that's what I would look for first. But if there's a card, as, as you've said many times, sort of you buy the card, really not the holder, um, if you're a real collector. Um, so I don't know. That's the way I look at it. Or if you work at a grading company, like we both do, you buy the card in a competitor's slab because you need that card. I mean, I'm right. going to continue to buy cards on the secondary market. I probably won't ever submit a card to grading. Uh, to well, unless it's a card that tag doesn't grade, I'm not going to use Beckett or PSA anymore. I, I love what we're doing at tag, but you know, um, I'm still going to buy those cards on the secondary market because I need the card. I'm I'm a card guy, and if I can, and the question to you is like, you buy a PS a card in a PSA slab, Scott, 
are you then thinking, I can't wait to get it crossed into a BGS holder because I prefer my cards in the BGS holder? I tell you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you two answers. One is probably not. Um, and I'll tell you why. The, and then the answer could be yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but but the, the 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 no is because I actually I really so I believe in in for me for this for the job to really understand what's going on. I think you have to have I, I need to have cards from all the manu- from all the grading companies. I want to see what everybody's doing. I want to stay in touch and on top of things. If somebody has a new label, I want to see how that how that's done. Sometimes I refer to them and say, okay, how are they doing this? Why are they doing it better than us? What is it about theirs, their label that's that's elegant or successful or you know has the right security features? Um, so I have no problem with with having a bunch of different cards from different grading companies, you know, in part it's for research and understanding. Just like I'll be honest, just like, you know, you know, I I will still send cards in for for grading if you know if if it made sense. Why? I want to see turnaround times. Is it real? I see what these people are saying. Is it really real or is it not real? So there is some sort of now they're probably going to cut me off all these guys, but um, because I use my own name. Um, But I do think that, you know, if you if you own a a McDonald's, you know, back in the day, you, you walk into Wendy's Burger King, whatever you try their fries, you know, like you kind of have to do this stuff if you really want to understand what's going on in the market and why people may love something about one company and not about another. Anyway, so that's long winded, but that's truthful. Oh, that that make, makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, the market research piece makes a ton of sense to me. And um, like when I, I'm, I was, I've been packing up and preparing for the Toronto Expo for yeah. the past several days, and I'm now packed, ready to go. I fly out tomorrow. And I, I have one in my whole collection. I have maybe three SGC slabs, one CSG and many of the others, uh, yeah. others just being back in PSA. And, uh, and, and I decide I'm going to take, I'm going to make sure I, I take my one CSG slab and one of my SGC slabs. I know I'm already taking PSA and Beckett's. So I'm having them for right. sale, but I'm going to bring them just so that I can show people the differences when I'm, when I'm talking about tag. And so I understand the market research part and just, uh, you know, to be able to understand the differentiators, um, you know, not just in the slab, but in the service level as well. Right. Okay. So are you I mean, selling there? Are you, are you, you have a booth and everything like you've had yeah. in the past? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my, my, I'm back in my usual location. I've had there for uh, about 17, 16 or 17 years. My, my regular booth, I'll be at booth 730. I look forward to seeing everybody there. And um, yeah, I'm going to be selling cards of all, shapes and forms from graded to raw um all the way through so yeah i'm, I'm pretty excited to, well, to go go there. by and say hello to the, the team at beckett there'll be a bunch of people there i will for sure i will i got lots of friends at beckett and friends yeah. at psa friends everywhere so i definitely will okay let's get some more comments here mid-atlantic says this is for you says i feel like collection management software is not a new idea or development can you talk more about what actually differentiates Knox from all others a uh, tremendous amount. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's we were talking about it a little before, but the data is going to be a, a big piece of it. Obviously, you know, Beckett has thirty. I mean, literally, they have thirty plus years of data, which is remarkable. Um, it's metadata and obviously image data too. Um, so the thing about Knox, I'm not going to give everything away, is that 
it is more of an experience than it is a collection management tool. I think probably that's the best way to say it. And you'll see when you, when when it gets launched and when we get to a sort of a full feature set, but there will be ways to connect with others like never before. There will be way, ways to create your profile like never before. Um, there will be ways to share that is totally different. There will be interactive events that will be different. Um, um, so there's a whole handful of ways. I know it's a, it's, it's not a direct, direct answer, but it's obviously done on purpose. Um, so wait, you'll wait and see. There's also an educational piece of it, which lends towards really learning about the athlete that really has never been done before, um, in this space at least. So I think you'll see a lot of connectivity and what we're really trying to build is a hub, a hub where folks can come in, have their cards there. But then not just be sort of a closed loop environment, but an environment that works with others too, with other partners, whether, you know, it's a, a marketplace, whether it's uh, a consignment shop, um, whether it's an insurance company that's doing insurance, there's all sorts of ways that we can connect with others uh, via API. So vaults, whatever, Ton tons of different things. So that's, that's well more than collection management. And just to, so people understand and are, are certainly clear, while no Knox was the original name, it's being rebranded as Beckett Collect when yeah. it does when it does officially launch. Uh, is there going to be a, a beta stage? There's an alpha coming in about a week, and then there will be a beta stage after that. I don't know if it'll be in December or or the very very beginning of January, but one or the other. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, you know, I think they're taking folks on, on the list right now um for it so you can find it you can find that and jump on the list if you want awesome okay well i look forward to seeing what, what it's all about once it's uh once it's up and running hockey cards upset bravo to being open to grading notes it's absurd that you can pay thousands for a grade and not be told why although just to be clear at beckett your pricing model is not the same as psa's where they charge by the value you charge by the job is that right yeah no it is it's 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 one of our quote unquote, I mean, that's one of our, our points of differentiation. I think that, you know, um, one of the guys uh, always says, uh, oh, I'll forget what he says, but it's like Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mouse, it doesn't matter, like any card, you know, you know, um, you can you can put them, you know, at the, you know, at the economy level for $25. Um, and you can, you know, you can throw one into our collector special at $22 and get subgrades for a, you know, a Mickey Mantle. So yes, yeah. it is, it is a differentiator for sure. Well, one of the biggest problems with, with um, the pricing model that, that utilizes, you know, an escalating price at escalating card values is that, well, if you graded your cards in that pricing model environment, mm -hmm. uh, you know, between summer of 2020 and January of this year, yeah. you were probably paying a lot more than you'd have to pay today because we've seen the card values come down on big cards, mm -hmm. a card that was, that might've been worth $300,000. You might be able to pick up for 75 or $80,000 today, you know, and then that, there's all types of examples like that. Are those card, are those, is that great? Is that grading company uh, offering refunds on, on yeah. that, on the incremental value? Yeah. Like right. it, that, for that reason, I think it's I, I think it's bogus that that pricing model, and, and I feel bad saying that, but I just I never liked it. So I'm yeah, glad that you aren't using that one. No, we're not. And by the way, like, you know, I'd be uh, I'd be up for a refund on some of the things that I did too, um, for sure. 
Yeah. I mean, I sent in a Jordan rookie that I literally had in a screw down case since 1990. Um, and, um, and I sent it in, it was, it was like, you know, it was tough to let it go right after all those years and put it out there and, you know, and it came back, but thankfully, but you know, it was quite expensive to grade it, you know? And so, you know, I think now it would be a, definitely a different number on the grading yeah. for, for sure. For sure. I want to last last topic as we're kind of talking about some differentiators between Beckett and, and PSA and um, the back to this issue that that happened with this particular uh, luminescent card that had the, the surface missing, mm-hmm. like significant paper loss that ended up in a PSA 10 holder. And there's been people that have been accusing PSA of giving preferential treatment to Nat Turner. Um I don't want to believe that. I don't think I do. I think there's another explanation that a lot of people maybe just haven't thought of yet. You are, you know, you're, you're in the Beckett offices about half the time or so you're, you're observing graders. How easy or hard is it for a grader to give preferential treatment to a known customer? Do they know who the customers are? And I know you can't speak for PSA, but maybe you can provide some insight from the Beckett side of things. For us, they, they don't know. They're, you know, they're just, they're numbered cards that show up in a, in a bin, basically, uh, in an order that has an order number that's not associated with the name or individual. So they, they, they wouldn't know, you know, at, at all. I, I, in the case that happened with Nat, I, I, I just can't imagine that they're giving him preferential treatment. I just, I don't think he wants it, would care to have it. Like, I'm pretty sure he's like a collector, like, like we are. And okay, that's my card. That's my card. Whatever it is, it is. Yeah. I've gotten, you know, I've sent stuff in uh, to Beckett and got absolutely hammered. And, and, you know, and then I'll open it up and it is what it is. I'm yeah. tell you that, like, so no, I don't, that we don't, there's no names. There's, you know, with our system, there's no names. It's, it's all just off of a, you know, a number and a time frame, and, and, and that's it. So all right, uh, you, know, you got to no. stay away from that. If you, if, if you go there, like that's it, right. <laughs> you know, so I mean, you really have to separate that out. It's, it's gotta be, you know, one of the most important things you do. It has to be maybe a few years ago, maybe before blowout forums became as big as they are, you know, it was, it was being done. Who knows? I'm not saying it was or wasn't, but I could see it. But now um, we all have to be on our toes because there are people watching very closely for the sanctity, for the protection of the greater hobby. And I'm, I'm grateful for that as a lifelong hobbyist who only wants the best for it. um, It's important that, that grading companies, uh, card companies uh our auction companies are held to the highest standard by the hobby we can't again we have no regulate we have no formal regulation we have to self-regulate one of the easiest and best ways to self-regulate is by using your wallet and giving business to the entities who you think are doing the best job of of preserving the good of the hobby so okay with with everybody having a megaphone which is their basically their phone it's funny how that came together the megaphone and the phone Right. Like you can't, you know, you're not going to get away with anything. People are very vocal. They're very loud, especially in this, you know, in this hobby, this industry. So, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's essential to separate that out. 
uh, and, and and they do a great job. I, I that much I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, let's do this next one quickly. Uh, Jeremy at Collectors League says, "Is it possible that Beckett could increase the quality of the internal sleeve?" Yeah, yeah, that's being worked on now. Good. Contender says it's so clear that Scott is a genuine collector. So important when leading a grading company to greatness. Yeah, that's we said. I don't know if you joined a bit late, Contender, but I, I made the same comment. I we're certainly aligned on that on that right there. Uh, La, I always forget how to sell that. I know I'm going to see you in in Toronto. Le Schwein, looking forward to seeing some of you there. He's talking about the expo. Albert Jones, 95% of my slabs are Beckett slabs. He goes on to say, I wish any grade would stay with the gold label besides the black pristine. So there's a I feel like there, there's a vote for the gold. Okay. And the gold is on brand for Beckett, in my opinion. Contender says, imagine if grading companies had different slab options. We talked about that, Scott and I, and mm. I think you don't want that personally. Uh, and unless they're getting thicker with thicker cards. But again, everyone's different. I like uniformity. Hey, a lot of people like that HGA where every slab looks like it came from a, a, a different artist or something, whatever it is. If you if that's what floats your boat, by all means, collect what you like, buy what you like. But for me, I, I want uniformity. I think a lot of people do, but hey, I'm sure a lot of people don't as well. Yeah, I think the only, the only thing that, and we, we're not doing this, so don't get me wrong, but in my head, right, as like a collector, if you have a card that's like an amazing card, like some sounds like some of your exquisites, if there is some incredible slab that that could be produced that you can have and really, I, I always say like Beckett, PSA, tag, um, they're turning these raw items into assets, right? In my mind, right? That's what's really happening to some extent. So if there's some card out there that you have that you, that you love that's actually has tremendous value it would be cool to see it in more of a i don't know substantial substantial differentiated slab which could be a total like elevated experience but that's like out there but it could be really cool yeah i want to just touch i use the word asset there for a minute and i this is all, totally off topic but you got me you got me thinking here i see you know, I consider a sports card to be an asset. It's also mm -hmm. a collectible. It can be both at the same time. And I see people saying often they'll come on to comments on where, whatever, Instagram, YouTube, and people will make the, the, they will make the comment that sports cards are not asset. They're not investments, they will say. They're not investments. Well, they are certainly assets. And they've been assets since the, ever since the first two kids at recess traded one for the other. Right. That is an asset. It, it An asset is something that can be owned that is tangible. It's an asset, no matter if you... Now, assets can also be investments. They're not all investments. Not all assets are investments, but many can. What's an investment? I think an investment is a property, including an asset, that whose value goes up and down with a market. With right. a market. With a, with a broad market. We have a broad market here. It's not as broad as a stock market, but it's still a broad market. So they're certainly assets. They are certainly investments. But the caveat to that is it's up to you and me as collectors to decide if we want to consider those assets in our own, under our own ownership. So for me, Scott, I keep I keep records. I, I know what's going on in my in my financial world. I have my cards as assets on my personal balance sheet. So what that means is when I buy a card, if you know anything about accounting, I debit the I debit the asset and I credit you know, yeah. the, the cash going out the door versus debiting an expense, which hits your income statement and, and crediting the cash going out the door or however you're paying for it. So 
you can decide for yourself if a card is an asset. If it is, put it on your balance sheet. If it's not, if you don't consider an asset or investment, put it on your income statement. Either way, they're still collectibles and you can still yeah. collect and buy what you like. So anyway, yeah. so I'm, kind of, I'm with you on that. And the other thing is that a lot of us insure, I mean, you know, have insurance on some of these items, you know, or if it's not the singular item, it's, you know, a collection that has certain value too. And I think actually, you know, collectible is kind of proven out in a lot of ways that, that they are assets. Maybe not every card, right? Certainly not every card, but many, many with the long proven history. Um, and through collectible, I mean, through the app, I, I've purchased several, several IPOs. I don't know if I have 20 of them on, on their platform or more, but um, cards that I could otherwise not afford, but you know, was able to grab a few shares here and there. And that's always a nice thing. So I think that's, I think they've proven that it's, that those are real assets and they've seen turnover. It's exciting when there is a buyout offer. It's kind of a cool thing. It's a, it is a cool thing. I, yeah. I love when the, I love when there's a buyout offer on, on collectible. I think it's, it's fun for content and it's, and it's, it just sort of validates the whole business, the collectible business model. It's not for yeah. everybody. A lot of people don't like it. They don't want to see fractional. They don't, they don't think that, they say that it's not the stock market. So, so how can you, you know, the stock market is fractionalized companies, collectibles, fractionalized collectibles. It's, you know, you, you can, you can, you can fractionalize vacation ownership. You can fractionalize real estate. It's not fractionalization is something that exists almost everywhere. Um, it, yeah. it makes sense. You know, anytime, anytime you go to a party and they put out a bunch of pizzas, you go grab a piece of pizza. You're taking place in fractionalized pizza. People you're getting one eighth of that, of that pie. That's fractional. You didn't have to go buy it all. Oh no, I want my own. I want it all for myself. It's not, you know, you don't have to do that. You can, everything gets fractionalized these okay. days. So in, in the investment world and, and elsewhere. So yeah. um, I think you're right. Uh, they have proven that them and others. I mean, it's not, you know, right. it, it's uh, it, there, there are a lot of private funds that are putting millions of dollars into cardboard and they have unit holders that we don't know about. You know, it's, we, no I know those are out there. I, I, I hear yeah. about them. Oh yeah, so, they, have, they have LPs, and you know, uh, one of our investors in Knox is uh, uh, Mint Ten, which is uh, DJ Ski, um, his fund um, with Warren, and um, you know, they invested both in cards and they invested in some um, some companies, including Knox. Um, so yeah, and they've got plenty of you know limited partners who put money into the fund. Fractionalized, it's and that that fund is fractional. Yeah. And it owns other and it owns companies in the space and it owns cards, even though it, you know, Super even though it's not uh, on a platform like collectible, it's still it's like that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to the the invest, you know, are is our sports cards investments? Well, the ones that have value can be if you want to consider them, but it's up to you. So when somebody says with 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 confidence and vigor that sports cards are not investments, you, they I wish they would just realize that you're only speaking for yourself and and like people that think the way you do. But but just because you think that way, it doesn't mean that's the way for everybody. And it doesn't mean it's the way. It's just the way you're thinking about it. And mm -hmm. if I consider mine to be assets because, you know, I got a card here worth 10 grand today and 25 years from now, I'm going to maybe sell it for 20 grand or one grand, whatever it's going to be. Either way, if it goes up or down in value. That's an investment. Either it worked out or it didn't. But it's one way or another. I am converting it back into cash. Anytime you trade cash for something that can then be traded back for cash again, might be an investment. Maybe you invest in used couches, but you have a market for it. 
In inventory yep. is an investment. Inventory, any of any type, is an investment. And companies invest in inventory. They carry inventory. It's an anyway. Going yeah, off I'm on all the in here. No, I'm with you. Whole tangent. Okay, Let, we're 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 past the. I we usually like to keep collectible live to one hour. We're at an hour ten minutes, but I feel like we got to go a bit more. Are you okay with that? Sure. Okay. Okay. You didn't convince me with that, but we'll run. Well, no, I'm totally good with it. I was in the back of my head. I'm thinking, yeah, sure. Nobody in my house wants to talk to me anyway. So yeah, why not? Let's <laughs> let's let's go. Let's hang out for longer. All right. Let's do. Let's uh, go to this Mid Atlantic, and this is something I have a personal issue with. He says, as long as grading companies are grading their own employees and executives' cards, they will always have a perception problem, and rightfully so. And I said, I have a personal issue with that because I now work for Tag. I went to work for Tag. Uh, because I love the the darn slab and everything that they're doing over there. And I want to have my cards graded by tag. And I'm going to have my cards graded for tag for by tag. One thing that I'm that that I think might alleviate some of the issues of this comment is that there's you I, I can't tell the computer to grade my card differently than anybody else. I'm not even there to do it. So I hope that I'm gonna be able to do that and not run into any issues like Nat just did, but let's face it, I probably will. But it'll be it'll come down to how do I deal with that because I'm certainly going to want to use I want I'm such a collector I want my cards in there. Um, what, what's your thoughts about that? I, I don't know. It's sort of um, no offense, more of a pessimistic view uh, of things. I think that if you're a collector, you want collectors in these businesses, running them, helping to manage them, just you know, making sure that they're thinking the same way the broad audience of collectors thinks and drives value in that way and and what the collector is looking for. So, and those folks like myself, Jeremy, Nat, and many others are always going to want to have their cards graded and do something. I think if, it, if it's done the right way, it's completely fine. The other choice you could do would be to give it, you know, which I don't do, but you could give it to a group submitter and it throws into their order. And then, you know, that's another angle. You could say, hey, well, Scott, that's a better idea. Then really nobody knows because this is coming through a group submitter and they're getting this stuff. And, you know, then obviously, you know, there'll be no 0, 0.0 chance of anybody knowing whose card it is. So, I like that. I think that's a good, a good other idea. I think that's a good potential solution that you just, you just threw out there. So, okay, let's keep going. Thank you for the questions, everybody, so far. We're, we'll go for about five more minutes here. Um, Collectors League, Jeremy says, no white paper labels. I think I think you guys have heard that loud and clear. LeSchwine, uniformity. From, from is my Jeremy partner. before, too, I think. What's that? From Jeremy before, which is good. Yeah, good. There you go. Yeah, I'm sure. Jeremy knows everybody in the hobby. Yeah. Uh, LeSchwine says, uniformity is my preference as well. Hockey Cards Up says, first, thank you for doing this. Will Beckett consider changing its Gem Mint grade to a 10? I think it's a big hurdle, especially for newer and younger collectors. People want Gem Mint to be a 10. I don't think you can change your grading scale. What about you? I think, you know, it's interesting. It's, I think it's really hard. It's really hard. It's a, um, let me right though. It's an uphill battle, right? Well, let me just jump in because he goes on to say it can be done. CSG did it successfully, but CSG did it successfully like six months into their business with very right. little market share. So it's a completely different situation. But you, please continue. yeah, you have to actually. I've given it uh, quite a deal, good uh, amount of thought, and and so is uh, many members of the team. Um, it's hard because there's twenty plus years of of grading 
there's 20 plus years of, of sales history, you know, secondary market sales history. Um, it's just very, very hard. Um, and our tens are obviously, you know, a level above, um, which is also interesting in the sense, you know, should it, I, there are so many tens out there in, in various companies' cards. Like, are they really, are they really all tens? Like, well, they're not, we know that. Right. Ten, ten should be pretty hard to get. Right. So it's tough because it does say gem mint and that the words, maybe we should get rid of the number, the words gem mint match up to, let's say like a PSA or, or any of the other grading companies. Gem. And so that's really the question is how do you tie those together? Since our gem mint says 9.5, somebody else's says 10. Um, but we're still discussing it, but I think it's going to be, very, very, very difficult. Let, let me let me uh, share this thought. So you've just made the comment that uh, are there any cards in in a ten holder that shouldn't be a ten? I said, well, of course there are. But here's the here's the flip side of that is that we all people submit cards over and over again until they get the grade they want. Oftentimes, you hear this all the time. Yeah, and people will submit a card to Beckett in a a near gem, you know, two nines and two nine point fives or whatever, hoping for that last nine point five to bump it up. People will submit nines back to PSA for the review to get to get the second opinion from the same company for the second time for the second fee and all that. Um, but nobody ever is going to submit a card for regrading to see if it gets a lower grade. My point where I'm going with this is. Whatever percentage of cards that are put out that are on the marketplace that are, let's say, nines that should be tens or or eights that should be eight point fives, there's at least as many tens that should be nines and nines that should be eight fives and and so on and so forth. So uh, you know, it, it comes down to what I say, especially with in my role with Tag now, which is you know, consistent AI grading, is that the the human manual grading companies. Do the best that you guys do the best that you can. I don't. Yeah. I don't doubt that for a second. Um, but it's just limited to to the fact that it's human grading. So it it we have to as a hobby, and I have a ton of slabs, Beckett and PSAs. Uh, we as a hobby just have to accept that it's it's what it's what's out there. It, it's yeah, at least up until now. Uh, I think that's right. Think okay, that's right. fine. Uh, let's go to Joe's comment. Says I'm a longtime fan of Beckett. Oh, but my recent submission, maybe my last three of the five cases had a milky film on them that detracted from the presentation of the card. Is quality hmm. of case a priority? No question. Big, big priority. Big priority. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on it. Tell Joe, oh, Joe, try to connect with me. How can we connect? DM uh, uh, at Beckett Collect and uh, let's get that fixed for you. For sure. So if you DM them and just say that, you know, just put my name in there, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it for you. Get it done. Thank you for that, Scott. And for the question, Joe, Scott, Dr. Beckett has been removed from Beckett. I think he sold the company, if I remember, like a while ago, over 15 years ago or so. Yeah, a long time ago. I wanted to ask you, how important is his legacy still in, in Beckett within the four walls? Um, and does he have any involvement to this day? I know he's obviously involved in the hobby. He does pot. He does a podcast every day. Yeah. He's been on my show half a dozen times. I've done his a couple times. Um, speak a bit about Doctor Beck and the importance of of him to the company. Yeah, no, I think he's he's crucial. It, it, it's interesting, actually. Go back to 
what we talked about a while back, uh, 40 minutes or so about the team. There's a good number of folks on the team who, who started the company with him, who worked with him um, day in and day out. And I think what's nice about that is that they bring a lot of, you know, of Dr. Beckett with them uh, to the day to day, which is really nice. Um, so that's a very positive note for, for that too. Um, he is, I have not been super involved with him yet. We have some ideas that we want to approach him with on things that we can do together, um, and would like him to be involved. Um, but I know that he, uh, we will get sometimes, I know he's met with our new CEO. He's met with Canal. Um, he meets with Jeremy, of course. Um, and we've gotten some emails saying, Hey, what about this idea? What about that idea? But I think it's interesting. The emails are always so nicely like laid out. I don't, you know, he's not looking to sort of shove himself in, but hey, have you thought about this? Sometimes I'm like, yeah, we have, and we're working on that. Or oh no, that's that's a good idea. So we would like to do some things with him and bring him more into the fold. I think if we can look into um, 2023, it's definitely going to be a priority for our our team. Um, especially from a marketing and just, you know, bringing that connectivity it's um, into it, I think would be really important. I think the, ne the next generation of collectors, which is what I'm always looking at, because like in some ways, yeah, we're building things, but we're really building for the next generation. We're not building these things for, no offense to Jeremy, you or me, but like, right, we're building for, you know, we want our kids and their kids to collect. So we're trying to think about those, but I think still having that, history is super important. So we definitely want to do that um, more. Oh, yeah, I think it's a good idea. He's such he, he's very, he's very generous with his time and ideas. And uh, he, um, you know, he says, you know, I don't it's not my company anymore, but it still has my name on it. Every single, yeah. every single slab out there has his name on it. So you know, so there has to be some uh, the, the, a feeling of connection to it by of course there is he built it it was his it was a baby of his yeah. and um he wants to see it flourish uh, of course he does i'm sure he'd love i'm not gonna say i'm sure he'd love i don't know what, what he'd love to do but I, I i would presume that he would be willing to to do to uh be in whatever whatever he'll do he'll do but um yeah. i think that the hobby would welcome that because yeah, exactly. there's a lot of respect for him out there yeah, definitely. And I still have Beckett magazines from the late 80s, 90s, you know, so definitely, you know, he I think he would be great. Will um, we be seeing uh, will we be seeing you and Beckett at the at the Mint Collective at the end of March? Yes. So we will we will definitely be there. Um, we're finalizing um, that. I think uh, basically over the last week um, we've been speaking to this folks there. Um, so, yeah, well, I think we'll have a, a very good presence there. Um, so yeah, we're excited about that. And I know it's March 30th through April 2nd, I think if that's right, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. In, in Las Vegas, we will, we will definitely be there. I'm excited. We, you know, last year was last year we, we had a new brand, new presence, and that's where they announced uh, both our deal and the due daily deal. Um, so that'll, that'll be a lot of fun to celebrate that. All right, good. Okay. Well, let's end it right there. So um, I want to thank you, Scott, for joining Collectible Live. Thank you, uh, Ezra, for for recruiting you to to be on the on the show. And uh, it's been great to have you and fun to fun to talk uh, with you, especially considering that you know we both work at 
grading companies now. Uh, it adds an, a, a yeah. nice little dimension to the discussion. Thank you to the chat, to everybody watching, uh, listening. If you're going to be listening to this uh, later on, all the great comments and questions. I hope that we address them all accordingly and appropriately. And um, that's it. No episode of Collectible Live next weekend. Next Sunday, as I will be at the Toronto Expo, but we will be back the week after that. So hope everyone has a great week ahead. If you're going to be at the Toronto Expo, definitely come say hi to me at booth 730. I would love to meet as many people as I can. I'll definitely say hi to the folks from Beckett. And um, Scott, final comments to you, and then we're going to end this. No, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everybody who is watching or will watch and, and listen. And uh, and I hope you have a, a great show, Jeremy. I hope you either sell or buy or whatever you're looking to do a ton of. Thank uh, you. So it should be fun. I will, I'm very tempted to fly up there from New York for, for a day or so, which which still may happen. So I heard it's an amazing show. It, it's an amazing show. Well, maybe we'll see you there this weekend. Thanks again. Thanks again, everybody who's watching. Have a great rest of your night. Scott, hang tight one second, and this episode is over. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.